You're listening to The Thrive Podcast, where every week we dive into a practical, tactical tip to bring you from a life of simply surviving to thriving. It's personal development for the everyday girl who is done with coasting through her days, done with feeling like she's missing out on the deeper meaning of her own life, and done with mediocrity once and for all. Because it's not enough to simply survive, you deserve to thrive. Welcome back to Thrive. For women in the workplace, today's episode will soothe your soul. I got to have a conversation with leadership professor Andrea Kane, who also authored the book Kicking Ass in a Corset. Fun fact about Andrea, she's a bit of a Jane Austen junkie. So a lot of her work and teaching actually derives answers to many modern day problems and challenges from Jane Austen novels. Everything from the pressure to be likable to financial inequity in the workforce. In today's episode, Andrea is taking us to class and giving practical tips and exercises to use on the job and in your life, from developing your own leadership skills to communicating merit to your boss. We also talk about finding confidence on the inside and how to root yourself in that instead of chasing external validation. And we talk about the importance of rest and how to practically make that happen without guilt, even with the busiest of schedules. Stay tuned through this conversation. Drop it five stars if you like what you're listening to. And now, welcome, Andrea. Oh, so nice to be here, Erica. Thanks for having me. Of course. Welcome to Thrive. I'm so excited for this conversation because we're going to be talking all about women thriving in the workplace, but from a super interesting lens that I haven't seen looked through before. So I won't give any spoilers. I want you to first introduce yourself and tell us about you, what you do, and of course, your book. Sure. Well, uh, my name is Andrea Kane. I am the Director of Leadership at the DePaul College of Education. So I'm a professor in leadership. I have published widely in the field. And my book is called Kicking Ass in a Corset, Jane Austen's Six Principles for Living and Leading from the Inside Out. And surprisingly, with my doctoral students, my master's students, and organizations I work with, I use Jane Austen heroines to illustrate what I call internally referenced leadership, how no matter what's going on around you, what corsets you experience, you can find a kind of internal locus of control and agency in the spirit of these uneducated, unmarried women from 200 years ago. (laughs) So it's sort of an interesting metaphor, but it it works and it lands um, with a lot of different folks, many who uh, maybe have not ever read or even heard of Jane Austen. Yeah. So this is obviously so interesting and fascinating right off the bat for people. So I want to first talk about Uh, I, okay. You say drawing from an internal locus of control rather than external forces. And I know you're someone who believes that really this can solve a lot of the problems and challenges that women face in the workplace, whether that's the pressure to be likable or finding mentors or even, um, disproportionate family responsibility or even financial inequities, all of that. So break us down that first, what that means, drawing from that internal locus of control rather than external. Definitely. And that's such a good framing question for the work I'm doing and what I'm putting forth in the book. 
it's this idea that, um, again, there are very real things, real inequities, real constraints that women experience and disproportionately so many of the times, but that there is a freedom in how we view ourselves and how we view our situation. And that in tapping into that internal perspective, we can help alleviate our circumstance, change our circumstance, or frame our circumstance for solution, to focus on solutions rather than problems, to find agency rather than to feel like, you know, more of a passive victim. And I can, I mean, I could go into some of the specific principles, but like, for example, with likability, you know, I think that the good news and the bad news sometimes is that as women, we are so relational and so empathic and so tuned in to how people are feeling, what they're thinking, um, which is, can be a wonderful strength, but it can also be really debilitating. So my first kind of principle is Elizabeth Bennett, Pride and Prejudice, know your internal and inherent value. Um, and view yourself through your own eyes rather than through everybody else's eyes. I love that. Okay, give us another principle because this is good. So yeah, <laughs> give no, us like, give mean, us more. Another principle, which, you know, I was telling you as we were, you know, before you hit record, which reminds me of one of your, you know, Monday morning mantras about kind of growing through, through difficult circumstances, as opposed to just going yeah. through difficult circumstances is from Eleanor Dashwood. And it's all about a kind of problem solving resiliency, you know, accepting difficult circumstances, but looking for the solutions and looking for how we can learn and grow. Um, which also is, you know, Emma Woodhouse, which is that, you know, going through whatever uh, we face with a kind of, you know, growth mindset, a humility, a kind of learning the lesson and, um, you know, growing through that circumstance. Mm -hmm. So how did you first connect the dots between all of this and Jane Austen novels? Are you just a big Jane Austen super fan or like, at what point I, were you like, wait a minute, there's a lot of lessons to be learned here where you started kind of connecting the dots? Well, you know, it was interesting. It was an interesting intersection because I am a Janeite, which is the official term for us Jane Austen super fans. I go to the Jane Austen Society of North America conference oh every year <laughs> where people dress up. It's a little embarrassing. I'm like hiding the photos. Do you but, dress up? Well, my friend, my dear friend dresses up and I've okay. put a cape on once Moral or twice. Moral support, but, sure. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, peer pressure, peer pressure. Um, I'm also a leadership professor and I also, I'm 55. At the time that this book kind of came through me, I was you know, 49 and going through a kind of crazy midlife divorce and some other changes. And I was at lunch at the conference with my friend. And I said, you know, all of the best leadership advice I've gotten in my life, both, you know, professionally, what I was teaching and consulting about, and personally, in terms of navigating my midlife situation, really came from Jane Austen. And, you know, in Sense and Sensibility, she has these two sisters, Eleanor 
and Marianne. And I said, in midlife now, I can choose to be Marianne and this victim, or I can choose Eleanor and I can accept this difficult reality, grow through it and hold it in a way that it's going to be for me, even if I don't quite understand that yet. And it was just really powerful. And my friend said to me, you've got to give a talk on this. So I gave a talk at the next year's JASNA. And then I gave a talk to the Women in Educational Leadership Conference. These are non-Jane Austen folks. And then I found I was using it with my students and my clients and, um, you know, and it sort of caught fire from there. Yeah. So do you think it's a, it's something really as simple as, and I should, I say as simple as lightly, because obviously this isn't necessarily easy, (laughs) but a perspective shift in terms of accepting something as, okay, this is what life is now. And now what do you think that those next few steps or next few choices look like in practice? Because I feel like that can be the hardest thing for people sometimes. And, you know, I share the similar belief, like it's all in your perspective and you, you are in charge of your next step. But I think that that can feel very daunting and maybe confusing or challenging in the moment because people might sit there and go, okay, I, I choose for it to be better moving forward. But like now what? Because that, that choice is like the beginning of a chain reaction. And I think knowing what's next in the reaction might be what confuddles people. (laughs) I told that's such a great question. The book is very practical and really operationalizes these principles with some very tangible kind of exercises to do and disaggregates the parts. So it isn't just saying have problem solving resilience, because what the heck does that mean? And how do I really apply it in my life? So for like Eleanor Dashwood, I break it down into very concrete exercises. For example, I talk about reporting on something that quote unquote happened to you with complete objectivity and no judgment words. I talk about going to the balcony so that you are in your life, but not of your life. And you could see it from a kind of dispassionate perspective so that you could then not just focus on the problems, but brainstorm solutions. And how can you reframe the situation as opportunities? So it's very, you know, I talk about um, this practice of saying that which is right is unfolding even if you don't understand, but kind of putting a pin on the ground and then revisiting a month later. I walk readers through a meditation where you think about a very difficult situation that happened maybe 10 years ago. And you reflect on all the blessings that came in during that time. Who were the people who witnessed you? Who were the people who were there for you? who reached out to you. And then you reflect on all the lessons you learned. And it doesn't mean you would want that situation to happen again or at all, but you'd sort of, there are, you know, again, with COVID, which has been so difficult for so many people, there have been COVID blessings, whether it's spending more time with your college age kids, 
whether it's really thinking about things that were meaningful. I just read an article about how a lot of people changed jobs during COVID because they did this deeper dive reflection about their own why in this life. And so again, um, I really try to provide very tangible, concrete steps to operationalize because mm-hmm. it's easy to sort of give a principle in the abstract. I also provide case studies of real people who are kind of grappling on all sorts of levels with these things. I love that. And I think that makes all the difference in terms of helpfulness for people too. Um, and I think that you are so right in that. And I think this is something really important for people to know, because we talk about this a lot on Thrive, the idea of perspective or just kind of, and positivity or optimism and what all of that means and kind of where the line is between positivity and toxic positivity, for example, or like the, those, those catch phrases or words that you hear in society today that kind of give something, um, feet, real legs to stand on versus make it this fluffy, woo woo idea. That's like, yeah, whatever. That sounds great. But like, welcome to the real world. So I love that you base it off of real practices too, and not just like fleeting feelings, (laughs) because I think that's where so much gets a bad rap because that is where it becomes not real or not relatable because then it's just disconnected and tone deaf in the world that we live in today. So, um, I love that that's what you base so much on. I would also love to hear if you have any exercises to, um, to help women develop their leadership skills or become more confident as leaders. Because I think too, like, especially with COVID, how many people ended up having to work from home or how many people do work from home now, or are also kind of, you know, navigating parenthood while having their full-time job, whatever the case might be, where now people are going like, wait, am I, am I still good at my job? Like what, what even is my job now? Or maybe (laughs) just like confused or on the flip side, navigating leadership in a whole new whole new world or a whole new realm that they haven't seen before, or just trying to rise the leadership ranks in what feels as close to normalcy as can be given everything that we've been through now. So I would love to hear since you also kind of, I mean, you are a leadership professor. (laughs) So talk to us about women in leadership. (laughs) No, that's, you know, I think it can be challenging for women in leadership during non-COVID times. And now during COVID times, where women are helping their kids with school, you know, you have dogs in the frame, they're at (laughs) home, they have a lion's share of home responsibilities. It can be really, really tricky. I think it's also really tricky for women, for us as women to claim our hard work, claim our merit, claim our achievement. And when you're not in person, the Zoom space can be really challenging to like put yourself out there. Um, I do think though, there are amazing opportunities during this time. For example, I think I have, you know, there's been research about how women at home have been, are so effective at multitasking, have been, even though it's been draining, have been really killing it in the remote space that it has created maybe more of a level playing field. But I think it's very, very important as women and women in leadership or women who are aspiring to leadership that that incredible resilience that we have innately, that we really kind of 
you know, claim that and explain it to the people we work with and we work for, and we put it in writing. I feel like women can work really, really hard in all spheres, but sometimes we don't claim that hard work. We tend to deflect or give other people credit. We really need to kind of give ourselves credit mm -hmm. and name it and kind of put it in writing. I also feel like women, again, and when you talk about joy, I think you're right. I think we talk about positivity and joy um, while at the same time there's, there's difficult stuff, but I think there is a kind of internal joy and creativity that we can tap into that creates all sorts of new ideas. I mean, I think about the women I know in education, in healthcare, in other organizations who've been so creative and so agile and been able to seize on all sorts of incredible opportunities during COVID. And again, I feel like it's about taking credit when someone compliments you instead of saying, no, it was nothing, or it was this other person saying, thank you, I'm proud of that idea. It's so hard for women to say that. And even I do an exercise sometimes with women where we practice saying that in the mirror, giving ourselves a compliment um, and claiming it. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really important for women. I feel like now more than ever, there's formal leadership. There's the role, the title and the money. And, you know, I hate to say it, but guys are really good at insisting on that. And there are a lot of women, and I'm one of them, who've been these de facto leaders and have done all the work <laughs> or led an initiative, but haven't insisted on the title and the money and are waiting for someone to say, oh, good girl, you know, here's the cookie. And no, we need to say, hey, wait a second, I've led this initiative. I want the title. I want the money. And the cookie. because that's And the cookie. <laughs> maybe another cookie. And I, you know, I think that that is, um, those are some important lessons that I've been thinking about during this period. Yeah. So when you say claim, claim it, claim it in writing and sharing that with other people, can you give kind of a, a quick little script or pointers on what actually to say, because I feel like that, that in and of itself can be really intimidating to women who automatically will start overthinking it since we do that too. Um, and we'll start thinking like, wait, but what do I say? Because I don't want to be taken the wrong way, or I don't want to be seen as, you know, that girl, or I don't want to be seen as the aggressive one or, you know, any other bad name that women would get called. And now then you start, I think, accidentally, or unintentionally, I should say, minimizing yourself or making yourself small and then claiming something can turn into, oh, I just wanted to tell you X, Y, Z. And we'll use words like just, or if it's not too much of a bother, like you start accidentally minimizing yourself in the process. So can you give us an example of confidently claiming something, but doing so in a way that is still professional, still kind, and not making yourself small and also not being rude or being snotty or in a way that would maybe be taken the wrong way <laughs> by people. That is such a good point. And scripting, I talk about it in my, scripting is really important. Scripting, practicing, role-playing um, is really helpful. I was just working with a woman who was, is head of HR 
And in this remote environment where people were feeling very alienated, um, she's in a tech company, she had to try to create culture and community and also create a safe space for people to vent their fears and frustrations. And so she came up with this whole initiative from like a Friday Zoom kind of faux cocktail hour to small team meetings. She created kind of mentoring. She, you know, used Slack to create a channel where people could sort of share, you know, challenges with, you know, their kids and parenting during COVID. She did all sorts of things. So we worked on her kind of creating a one pager for her CEO who she reports to. Um, and then she had a meeting where she said, you know, I'm so glad our company's done well during this time. She complimented him on his leadership. She thanked him for the opportunity for her to step up. Then she talked about, you know, like four bullet points, her achievements during this time. She then brought in research about other companies and a decrease in morale. She talked about how other companies have lost employees and how they haven't and that people are actually feeling good. She shared some compliments and then she said, you know, his name, I'm going to call him Ted. <laughs> she said, you know, Ted, I really think that the achieve my achievements, my achievements during this time merit recognition. So I would like to talk to you about improving my base and a bonus. And that's how she framed it. And we kind of went over the script and the role playing and the, you know, and, and again, she was worried. She didn't want to sound grabby. She didn't want to sound selfish, you know, and it was about claiming her work and claiming her contributions. We also talked about tying it to research, what's going on in other companies. And in looking at her compensation, Erica, and this happens for a lot of women, you know, women um, tend not to negotiate that the right salary going in, so they can never catch up. So in some ways, it was about giving her that catch up based on her outstanding contributions. And we talked about it. Um, and then, I mean, you know, moral of the story is he's a business person who was like, yeah, you've added a lot of value here. Like, thank you for pointing it out to me. So did she get the raise? She got the raise. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, I think you're right too. I mean, I think it's that threading that needle where it's not this complete deflection, you know, indirect versus, you know, demanding. There is a kind of having a conversation and claiming it without question, but in a way that's, we are part of the same team here. And I just want to tell you what I've been doing. I know you see some of it, 
You may not see all of it and you may not have the perspective to understand its value in today's workplace. So I'm providing that context for you. And I, I invite you into dialogue with me. Mm-hmm. I think that's so important. And I see that all the time too, in what I do in a totally different world, whatever, talking to brands and negotiating rates and all of that sort of thing. And a lot of it is, I think, or what I recommend people do is approaching the conversation, giving people the benefit of the doubt that of course they also want a fair, mutually beneficial partnership or relationship with you. Because if they don't, that will become clear pretty quickly based on their reaction to whatever you say. But if you approach it timidly or minimizing yourself or already assuming that they're not going to budge on you, well, you're definitely not going to get what you want at the end of the day. They may or may not know how you feel. And it's probably not going to be this great long-term relationship because you're still going to end up dissatisfied at the end of it. So I like to say to people, like, give them the option to see where you're at and give them the option to say no. But after being fully informed, being on the same page as you, you know, give them, give them the research, do the work because you can't assume that they are on their end. They have a full to-do list of other things that don't involve let's see if I'm paying Sarah fairly today. <laughs> like, right, no, they just right. probably, they, they're not even thinking of it. It doesn't mean they don't want to pay you fairly or that they don't want you to be satisfied or feel fulfilled or anything like that. It just means they're also humans with a job and they've got their own to-do list and it's just not on their radar unless you put it there. That is such a good point. You know, I talk all the time about presuming good faith. Let's presume that they value you and that you value you, and that you're just explaining to them other ways to look at your value, or Mm -hmm. that your values increased, and you're giving them that information because they value you. I honestly think that makes it an easier conversation to have too, because you don't feel like you're having to prove yourself too. And then you don't have as much, as much of a a tendency or a knee jerk reaction to add those minimizing words because you don't feel like you're trying to go, okay, well, this is why you should like me, or this is why you should think I'm good. Or this is why you should think I'm worthy. You're just assuming that you, you, you're assuming that you both already know that you are, which makes it an easier conversation. I think. So true. And that's why I think that inner work of like knowing our worthiness going in is so important. Mm -hmm. Do you have any exercises for that, for people to kind of give people the pep talk or little self-evaluation, uh, that's rooted in that balance between who you are and what you do. Because I think sometimes we see either it's entirely just who you are, not based on anything. And then you see it where it's entirely based on what works you're doing or these other performative things. So where's that line between just being who you are versus doing something and how those kind of work together in the workplace, especially. Yeah. So I have, I would love to flesh that out. There's so much rich stuff there. I think the first thing I would say is that, and this may sound counterintuitive, I believe, and this is very inspiring for me from Jane Austen, is that our value, how we value ourselves needs to be inherent and unconditional and not tied to our work. Um, So we're not searching for worthiness from our employers, which may never come. Or even if we're wildly successful, if our worth is attached to the the sales figures 
We're always going to be worried. Are they going to drop? How are they doing? And you can never fill yourself up from the outside. So there's always going to be this mild, le mild level kind of angst. I'm my sales figures. I'm my ratings. I'm my followers. And we're going to be checking every day because our worthiness is now tied to that. So I think it's important that worthiness really be an inside job and not tied to the outside. I also think when we're going in to have that discussion with a sponsor or with about a raise or about an endorsement, whatever it is, it's really important before we go in, instead of having them use their rubric for success, their criteria on us, it's really important that we have our own, I call it the personalized rubric. How are we measuring the worth of our performance? How are we measuring the value we're adding? I think that needs to be the starting point. I also think it's really, really important to do, have some objective research beyond the you know, organization, beyond the transaction. So we can come in with figures about what's going on in the field. And we bring that in. And that, I think, can really objectify the whole experience. Mm -hmm. I think it's also important to remember, because I, I think, again, this is like Alicia Menendez's The Likeability Trap, which is a book I really love. I think as women, um, we are searching for kind of this, can be searching for this emotional approval. And I think to the extent we could bring that out of it, so that, you know, again, before I go into any meeting or any conversation where I feel like that little girl inside me is looking for approval, I try to attend to her and give her the love she needs. And again, I'm 55, so this is the love she probably needed 40 years ago. <laughs> and, and attend to that side and not go in with that kind of energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. How do you, what does that look like for you? Tending to the child in you and giving them love, validation, whatever. What does that actually look like? You know, it, it, it can look like a couple things. It can look like, you know, scheduling, you know, a walk in the woods by my house. It can look like a meditation it can look like, you know, my mom died when I was a little girl. So sometimes I'll do little meditations and look at her picture and remember her. It could be in that space. Um, it could be, you know, spending time with my golden doodle who I love, but I don't fight that part of me. I'm not ashamed of her. I'm not embarrassed, but I, I know that she can't show up at the meeting. So I need to almost like when my kids are college graduates now, almost like when my kids were little before I was going to kind of go off and do a work thing, we might watch a little video, we might read a book and then, you know, the babysitter would come. Mm -hmm. I kind of view it that way. That's so smart. I think that women in the workforce today too can battle a lot with the idea of rest and renewal. So I'm mm -hmm. glad that you just mentioned, okay, doing a meditation, tending to yourself too, because I think 
we struggle with finding that balance between the hustle and grind and the rest, the reset and recharge. And it can feel really challenging or daunting, or honestly, even impossible sometimes, especially if you're also a parent or have 52 other responsibilities on your list. So do you have any tips on incorporating rest and reframing how we think about it so that we can actually fuel back up, fill our cups, and maybe even feel more creative or feel more flow or feel whatever better (laughs) at the end of the day because of it? Oh, that's such an important point and really good question. And one of my principles, uh, and this is something I wish I had known in my 20s. I mean, there are a bunch of things in the book or things I wish I had known as a woman in my 20s, but because rest and renewal would always come at the end and I would never get through the to-do list. So I would put it off, put it off, put it off, and then have a collapse and need to take like three days. Um, Rest and renewal need to be sacred and built in every day. And I know a lot of people are saying it's impossible. I'm a working mother. I'm doing too much. But first of all, it makes us better at mothering. It makes us better at our job. It makes us more creative. And it's absolutely necessary. If you run an organization, you need to give space in the organization for that. Um, I do a lot of work with an ed tech company. And I remember contacting the COO, who I'm really also good friends with on a Saturday about a work thing. And he's like, you know, Saturday is dad time, mom time. And I thought it was such a great precedent that he is setting because it's absolutely, it's essential to feel um, full and to have that balanced life. And it's also really essential to be a productive worker. I think it was Iceland that just did this research on the four day work week and found that a four day work week actually uh, facilitates people being more productive. Mm -hmm. When it comes to great ideas and being in flow, that childlike dreaming nature is absolutely important. I think it's also really important for women. And again, this is the good news, bad news about being so relational to have time just with ourselves, just with our feelings, just with our thoughts, just with our, just even to identify our own needs. We need time. And it could be 15 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day. It could be that bath, that meditation, you know, just putting in our earbuds and listening to a podcast that has nothing to do with parenting or our work. Um, your, your podcast um, <laughs> is absolutely essential. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think sometimes too, it's like, if you don't put yourself as a priority, who is going to? And I think sometimes we notice that too late in the process, at least for me, I end up noticing it too late when it's been like a a week or two weeks or so where I haven't been prioritizing myself. My husband's been doing his thing and I'm doing being a mommy and everything. And then I sit back and I'm like, wait, I'm frazzled. And why am I? And then I'm too far frazzled to even sit, take a step back and realize why I'm frazzled in the first place. Cause all of the things were just hitting, hitting, hitting. And then you're like, wait a minute. Now I'm like playing catch up on my self care <laughs> where it's like, sometimes at the end of the day, your, your kid's not taking care of you because that's not their job. And your spouse, they might take care of you in some ways and you take care of them in some ways, but there's, there's some things that you are the one that is best to do because you know what you need you know, your body, you know, your mind, you know, where you're at. 
And sometimes you have to just be willing to go, you know what? I will show up as a better mother, spouse, partner, parent, human being (laughs) tomorrow if I take care of this today. And that's totally okay. It's so true. And you, you use the word refuel. It really is the perfect metaphor because if you aren't constantly attending to that, you're going to run out of gas Mm -hmm. and the whole thing enterprise is going to come to a halting screech. And instead of letting it get to that point to really attend to it and to notice, I also think, again, it's very hard for women sometimes And I am someone, it's taken me so long to realize this, to ask for things directly. You know, we'll give time to other people thinking, oh, they're going to notice and give time to us. But really it's for us to say, hey, you know, I need an hour. I need a couple hours. I need a, you know, talk about time out. I need a time out for myself to just go read and, and, and regroup for a little while. I think it's really, really important to claim that and to notice you know, and, and if you can just to find some ways, if if you can't build it in on a daily basis, maybe you can build it in on a weekly basis. Yeah. So, so, so good. So important. Well, Andrea, I want to start wrapping things up by asking you something that I ask all thrive guests. And that is what does thrive mean to you and how do you strive to thrive in your everyday life? Oh, what a great question. I think thriving means to me to constantly be growing and learning and shedding what doesn't serve me and like discovering this like new skin um, that is perfectly me, but at the same time, completely new. I love that. That's awesome. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Can you tell everybody where they can find you online to connect with you more? And of course, where they can grab a copy of your book, Kicking Ass in a Corset. Sure. Um, I'm andreakane.com and Kane is K-A-Y-N-E. And Kicking Ass in a Corset is available anywhere you get books. So Amazon, lots of independent bookstores, um, Apple, Barnes and Noble, um, anywhere you get books. And thank you so much for having this wonderful discussion with me. Wait, before you go, make sure you're subscribed to never miss an episode of Thrive. Drop five stars on your way out if you like what you just listened to. And come join the party on Instagram at thrive.podcast to stay inspired and thriving all week long. Thanks for tuning in. It's your time to thrive.